We live in a world today that in many respects is unjust. Jesus lived in a world that is unjust, and we know that he went through a trial where justice was not given out. But in the midst of that, we know, as the lady sang earlier, there is victory in Christ. It was through an unjust trial that victory came about. But we also know that he went to the garden, and there he surrendered to the Father. He went through some, what we might call not-so-pleasant things in relation to his trial, and then he went to the crucifixion. But the victory ultimately was won in the garden. And it seems like his trial and crucifixion were almost secondary to what took place in the garden, because that's where he surrendered to his father. This morning we want to reflect on what I would call the fact that injustice for Christ was the Father's will. Let's pray together. Fathers, we reflect in your word as we reflect on Christ and what he experienced. We want to be attentive to what Christ went through. We want to be attentive to your will, attentive to what has happened down through the pages of church history and even what is happening today as it relates to believers, and what they experience. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Marvo Lasky, as he writes in World Magazine about hiding in higher education, he states the fact that it is almost impossible to live on the world of the academic and higher education and the universities and colleges in our country and take a stand for Christ without suffering persecution without suffering rejection. And in the July 3rd edition of World Magazine, he says, people have responded in the way, in the following ways, those who live in the academic world. I just bite my tongue. I just deliberately lie. I learn I should keep my mouth shut. It's dangerous to even think a conservative thought when I'm on campus because it might come out of my mouth. It's exhausting. You're not greeted. Your greeting isn't returned in the hall. Graduate students are urged not to work with you. And he goes on in the article just to say what happens if those in our universities and colleges who love God even speak about their faith. There's a book out that has been written of persecution in other countries and the story is told of Adele, and who lived in Indonesia. Her and her family were following Christ, and many in their village followed Christ. People came into their village, and the people fled, of the village fled. Their village was burned. Later on, her husband was kidnapped. She was forced to become the wife of a man of a another religion. She had a child by him. Again, she didn't have any choice. But all of it came back to the injustice she faced because of her faith in Christ. Jesus, as he went through his trial, was not treated in any manner what we might call just. But he was prepared for an unjust trial 
And he came through well because he went to the cross. He rose from the dead, and we have victory today because of what he did. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 53. Jesus had been arrested in verses 43 through 52. And we see again the play that is taking place. In this passage, as well as other passages, we see that Peter was not prepared. And he has mentioned at the beginning of the passage we will read, Jesus was prepared for an unjust trial. And then we find in verses 66 through 72 that Peter even denied knowing Christ. But again, preparation or lack thereof. Beginning with verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely about him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we'll build build another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You've heard the blaspheme. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him blindfolded him, struck him with her fist, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. Jesus is taken to the religious leaders to be put to death. The high priest, the chief priest, the elders and the teachers of the law, those who claim to follow God, are seeking to kill the Son of God. And they wanted evidence. The unprepared one, who is Peter, followed at a distance. He claimed commitment, but was not prepared by watching and praying for three hours. So we know that he did not even know in Christ. In the text, there were many false witnesses, but even they did not agree. The testimony concerning the temple was distorted to refer to the temple in Jerusalem when Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And it's interesting in the text that Jesus' own words condemn him. In verse 61, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One, coming on the clouds of heaven. He was the son of the blessed one. 
And that has implications for the high priest, for the chief priest, for the elders and teachers of the law. They should have paused and stepped back and did some thinking, but they did not. Rather, they condemned him to death. Verse 64, the text says they all condemned him. There were illegal items that took place in the trial of Jesus. And Jesus received what we would call an unjust trial. The Sanhedrin, the chief governing body of the Jews, consisted of 71 members. Since observant Jews refused to honor the Gentile Roman rule in Palestine, and the Roman administrators were shrewd enough to acknowledge this, a buffer organization between Rome and between the Jewish leaders was established so that the two could cooperate. This supreme indigenous tribunal mediated between the Jewish population and the Roman occupation. So there were some things that the Jewish leaders could handle for Roman rule. And in the context of the passage, the capital cases, there was to be reasons given for acquittal preceding reasons for conviction. That did not happen. In capital cases, a verdict of guilty was required or required a second sitting the following day. That did not happen. Both sittings had to take place during the daytime. That did not happen. Neither sitting could be on the eve of the Sabbath or of a festival. That did happen. Witnesses were to be warned against rumor and hearsay. That did not happen. A charge of blaspheme could not be sustained unless the accused cursed God's name itself. That did not happen. Final judgment or judgments were not to be made outside the sacred chambers in the temple. It happened outside of the sacred chambers. Now, I want you to understand that the high priest, in light of the text, the chief priest, elders and teachers of the law were fully responsible for what they did. You want to turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Peter and John have healed a beggar or a crippled beggar. There's some response to that. And just leaping into the context in Acts 3 and verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Peter makes it very clear that the chief priest the high priest, the elders, the teachers of the law were responsible for what they did. But Acts also makes it clear, and I think the text of Mark makes it clear, 
that God was fulfilling his will. In Acts chapter 4, the believers' prayer after they were told to be quiet. Acts 4 and verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The leaders that tried Jesus were responsible but yet they were fulfilling God's divine sovereignty in what they did. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility go hand in hand. Both are true, even though we cannot fully explain it. In Romans 11, in the context of discussing God's election, Paul says, Oh, the de- depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. We can't fully wrap our hand around or head around human responsibility, but divine sovereignty. But they're both present. D.A. Carson says in his book, How Long, O Lord, Reflections on Suffering and Evil, He, God, stands behind good in such a way that the good can ultimately be credited to him. He stands behind evil in such a way that what is evil is inevitably credited to secondary agents and all their malignant effects. They cannot escape his sway in exactly the same way that Satan has no power over Job without God's sanction, yet God remains mysteriously distant from evil itself. End of quote. To try to put together human responsibility and divine sovereignty sovereignty totally is just hard for us to do. But we see here that Jesus went through an unjust trial. And you will find that the text does not really emphasize the fact that it was an unjust trial. It just states things happen. But it doesn't bring out strongly that it was unjust. So I would pose the question, do the illegal items influence the text? I think they do as you look at the broader picture of Scripture. They amplify the responsibility of the high priest, the chief priest, the elders and teachers of the law. Those guys were responsible for conducting an illegal trial. But it also amplifies the sovereignty of God in accomplishing his will in the midst of defensive, proud religious leaders who are intent on killing Christ. God uses the evil defensiveness of proud men who break their own law to kill Jesus. The illegal items recorded in Scripture amplify human responsibility, but also God's sovereignty. And it amplifies, that is, these illegal items, the fact that Jesus was prepared through watching and prayer 
In spite of illegal items, Jesus was obedient. He didn't object or resist these items that were illegal. You don't find Jesus saying, hey, you didn't follow your own law. This isn't right. Give me justice. He doesn't utter a response. But when he's asked, are you Christ, the son of the blessed one? He says, I am. Prepared Jesus didn't need a just trial. Prepared followers of Christ don't need a just trial. God's sovereignty included an unjust trial for Jesus Christ. God's sovereignty down through the pages of history has included on justice to accomplish his will. So why don't the Gospels emphasize the illegal items? I think there are a number of reasons as you look at Scripture. The illegal items were the Father's will for Christ. This included much that was unjust. We read Acts 4 earlier. It was God's will for Christ to be treated unjustly. Tim Keller says, in walking with God through pain and suffering, and I quote, Jesus' suffering and death was a great act of injustice, but it was also part of the set plan of God. End of quote. So the Gospels don't emphasize the illegal items because what's the big deal with the illegal items? Jesus was following his Father's will. Illegal items are par for the course when people, leaders, choose to reject the only creator God. Illegal items are par for the course when people, leaders, such as in Jesus' day, choose to reject the only creator God and who he is. Consider the prophets in the Old Testament. How many of them went through difficulty and that which was not just? Jeremiah went through all all kinds of unjust treatment. Paul was persecuted. Peter and John went through that which was unjust. Listen as I read from Hebrews chapter 10, 32 through 34, where the writer says, Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Some of you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, that is, in prison because of their faith, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. If you look at the entire church age and even before the church age, but I'm referring to the church age now, that those who walk with God, it's par for the course at times to be persecuted. Why don't the Gospels emphasize the illegal items? In God's sovereignty, he uses the evil of leaders and unjust trial to accomplish his payment for sin through Christ. 
He is not dependent upon the justice of humans. It's the unjust treatment of Christ that God used to bring about death, to bring about resurrection, so that we have victory in Jesus. Mark chapter 15 and verse 37 says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was a son of God. Why emphasize that which is unjust when it was God's plan for the victory that was to be coming through Christ? The Gospels are quite silent on the illegal items in order to communicate and to emphasize or, and to encourage the eleven and the Roman believer, or believers and hearers, along with believers throughout the church age, that injustice is par for the course in following Christ. The eleven, as they died for Christ, were not alarmed because they knew that was what Jesus went through. And Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, you're blessed if you're persecuted because of your faith in Christ. So why would the gospel say, this wasn't fair, Jesus didn't get a just trial? That was in God's will. And it's in God's will even today that people would die for Christ without receiving justice. First Peter 4 makes that clear. Hebrews 10 makes that clear. Why don't the Gospels emphasize the illegal trial to challenge believers down through the church, ages, church age to rest in Christ rather than human justice? Give up the demand for justice on this earth. Expect to face injustice. Today, we worship at the throne of justice. What does this communicate to the body of Christ in America as we defend our constitutional rights, as we're being persecuted for our faith? Are we afraid of persecution? Why are we so demanding? When Jesus went through on justice because of his faith, and it's been true down through the church ages, and we today face the same. So the college professor who lost his job because he spoke out for Christ should not expect justice because his fate was already determined. He won't get it. How many in China today are being persecuted and end up in prison and will never get justice And they say, we don't expect it because we're being tried by people who don't have a heart for God. Why don't the Gospels emphasize the illegal items to challenge believers to give up living on earth as citizens of the earth? Yes, we're citizens of our country. I think we should vote and so on. But yet, Scripture says in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, 
that our citizenship is in heaven and we're aliens here. We're living according to a heavenly calling. And living by the heavenly calling means rejection at times, persecution at times, and we won't get justice because we're looking for justice down the road a ways in eternity. And I think also the Gospels don't emphasize the illegal items to drive home deeply the necessity of being prepared through watching and prayer. Why could Jesus go through a trial that was not just, that violated Jewish law? Because he watched and he prayed, he surrendered to the Father, and he knew the Father's will was an unjust trial. So people in Vietnam today will live godly. They'll be persecuted. They lose their property. Their families are killed. And we say, how do they make it through? They have prepared. They have watched. They have prayed. They expect that which is unjust. They're not demanding justice. They expect it because of their faith in Christ. As we think about the trial of Jesus, some applications. As believers in Christ, Give up a demand for justice if the struggle or problem you face is related to your being obedient to Christ. Oh, I didn't get justice. I got a demotion because I spoke of God as creator and I wouldn't lie. Accept it. You won't get justice. Because the mindset of those trying you or gave you the demotion are not acknowledging God. And besides, Jesus went through persecution, and it's been true down through the ages that those who stand for God at times will go through difficulty. So the lady who said to her boss, I cannot rig the figures for you, I will not do it. That's wrong. Why won't you do it? And she went on to explain, I have a relationship with God. And I'm to work hard as on to the Lord as I work for you, but I can't cheat for you. You won't cheat? No. You will serve God above me? Yes. Bye-bye. Well, I got to get justice here. It's not fair. It's not right. It probably will not be right. Another application, count yourself blessed to be persecuted in obedience to Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus is giving what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In First Peter chapter 4, 
Peter is writing to saints who are going through persecution because of their faith. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials that you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. God is saying through the Gospels and through parallel scriptures, developing the mindset that when you go through difficulty because of your faith in Christ, count yourself blessed because you're experiencing the sufferings of Christ. That sounds foreign to us in America, doesn't it? We have a hard time wrapping our mind around that. But yet there are countries in the world today where they're paying with their life. They lose property. Family members are killed in their very presence. And they'll never get justice. But they're serving Christ. Another application. Desire to know and experience suffering for your obedience to Christ. Say, Pastor, what did you say? I said, desire to know and experience suffering for your obedience to Christ. Paul says that in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Again, that kind of blows us away. We want to suffer for Christ and our obedience to him. Paul says, yeah. Illegal items and unjust activities are par for the course for believers living in this world as aliens and strangers. It's just life. Not that every day we're persecuted. But as we live for God and we speak for God and we're willing to just live godly, at times there will be some persecution. Whether it be on a date, whether it be in a school setting where a student just says, I'm not going to cheat with the rest of you and I'm not going to give you any of my answers. Or in a job, a person says, I cannot do that in fear of your work. I will not, because I'm following someone else. I'm related to God. Our focus should not be upon justice in this life when persecuted, but a resting in the sovereignty of God and his reward in eternity as we're obedient through watching and praying. When we run into trouble in this life because we're living for God and we take some persecution, whether in our country or other countries, we shouldn't expect and demand justice. We should be like Christ, accept it. And realize that eternity is coming. Watching and praying are essential to living well. Jesus watched. Jesus prayed. He went through an unjust trial because it was in God's sovereign will for him to do that. And he came through it well. He watched. He prayed. Let's choose to think biblically. 
God's will for his son was an unjust trial so that we could have eternal life. God's will for many saints down through the pages of church history was to be treated in an unjust manner and in some cases to die because that is in the Father's sovereign will. And that is true today. Peter, the other ten, they blew it. But they were true followers of Christ. And what happened? God worked in them. And the day of Pentecost and what happens in Acts is so different. Because in spite of their failure, Christ had prayed for them. And God worked. And just as Christ suffered in an unjust trial, they were willing to suffer that which was not just for his glory. But it comes back to what is our vision? Is our vision God? Is our vision Christ? Let's sing together as Travis comes.